When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm your host Ariana Bravo and this is the Autosport Podcast. Race one of the triple header and Max Verstappen has converted his pole position into victory as well as taking the extra point for fastest lap. It looked like Lewis Hamilton might take the win after Verstappen went wide into turn two, conceding the lead, but the undercut proved powerful today and ultimately Red Bull's strategy choices paid off going for a two-stop strategy with Verstappen and bringing home the race win, while the final spot on the podium went to Sergio Perez. The McLarens were able to turn around yesterday's more disappointing qualifying with Lando Norris finishing an impressive P5 and Daniel Ricciardo, who was looking considerably more like his usual self, finishing just behind in P6. Meanwhile, their main competitors in the Constructors' Championship, Ferrari, had a rough day, both drivers finishing outside of the points, with Carlos Sainz in P11 and Charles Leclerc down in P16. And finally, a worthy shout-out for George Russell, who had a fantastic race today, finishing P12. Joining me to discuss all of today's on-track action is Stuart Codling, Executive Editor of GP Racing, Luke Smith, Autosports Formula One reporter, and Jess McFadden, Director of Digital Strategy for Motorsport Network. Right, guys, before we get into the rundown of things, lots of people didn't have high hopes for this track, but it actually ended up delivering quite an exciting race. No safety cars, no retirements, nothing desperately dramatic in terms of accidents. So pretty good that it actually delivered an entertaining watch. Before we go into the rundown, what are your ratings out of 10? Codders, you can go first. I'm going to go for a 7 or an 8 because we had this marvellous battle for the lead and which you know will will dominate the headlines while there were a few other battles further down the line and we, you know we'll get into the mclarens later there was that huge gap between p4 and p5 which is a little bit disappointing but i suppose that's just formula 1 nowadays but however you know as you say you know paul ricard a, a circuit at which no one expects to see a great race and uh, indeed I, I noticed f1 struggle on twitter having a, a big f1 struggle for all the people who prognosticated that it was going to be a terrible race how wrong they were it was a great way to spend a sunday afternoon wasn't it and much more thrilling than the green king ipa championship final which mrs codling was watching uh banishing me downstairs to the lord heseltine theater to watch the grand prix down there so a 7.5 yeah i'm gonna go for a 7.5 luke 
7.5, fine. Luke, what are you going to say? I would, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that, yeah, sort of 7.8, 7.5, I think that's a good a good rating for it because I think we have gone into this weekend expecting the worst really from Paul Ricard because it's Paul Ricard and the last two F1 races there haven't been at all exciting. Uh, but going into the weekend, I saw lots of um, sports car fans and people like that going like, oh, okay, it's not the track that's the problem, it's F1 that's the problem and watching the F3 races uh, yesterday, it was really exciting. It was really good. So you're kind of thinking, okay, hopefully that might give us some hope for a good race. And and yeah, and in the end, it did really deliver. I think that the tyres, the deg being so much harder than expected, I think that really spiced things up. I thought it was a really good tactical battle for the lead. I think we had four drivers at the front who all at one point looked like they had a shout of winning it. So I think that was really, really exciting. And uh, yeah, I think I think Paul Ricard actually really did deliver a, a really good ground Grand Prix today so yeah I would agree with that I think a 7.5 is a good good score Jess last but not least your rating out of 10 will it be 7.5 yeah I'm, I'm trying to keep track of what I've been giving previous races because you kind of want them to be like relative um so that you're not kind of giving wild sweeping uh grades to races where you've only been impressed because as everyone else I was fully anticipating a snooze fest around Paul Ricard and very much like as Luke's touched on mainly to do with the nature of Formula One um, and it not being very well suited to Paul Ricard but we were proved wrong today Um, and it whilst it you know it didn't set the world on fire I think you know I was I was I was engaged for most of the race and you know there were points where there was just three seconds separating the top three for a big chunk of uh of the of the laps which for me you know you want that you want to have that anticipation of you know someone going to make a mistake i mean max verstappen was under pressure for a, a good good uh a good number of laps from lewis hamilton um and so i think it did deliver in terms of you know seeing everything that is beyond you know on track action seeing those strategy plays play out and um you know seeing uh strategists have to switch gears pardon the pun but you know completely and utterly switch gears and try something new and red bulls red bulls call today was really ballsy um and it ended up delivering Mm -hmm. the victory and also kind of paved the way for the rest of the race so i think it was a great race to watch. It was it was enjoyable. Um, so I think, you know, I'm probably going to say a 7 or a 7.5. So why don't we just keep it 7.5s across the board? Love that. All in agreement. Now, we're going to delve into all of those things that you just touched on, especially the strategy calls of Red Bull. But for anyone that might have missed the race, this is what went down. Off the line, Verstappen held the lead, but not for long as he ran off track as he went into turn two, allowing Hamilton to take the lead. In the opening 10 laps, Hamilton was looking comfortable while Bottas dipped in and out of Verstappen's DRS range. Further down the pack, the pit stop started with Charles Leclerc pitting, followed by Ricardo, who managed to gain places on both Gasly and Sainz by pulling the undercut. On lap 17, Mercedes brought Bottas in, switching to the hards, and on the following lap, Red Bull responded, bringing in Max Verstappen, who had dropped to three seconds behind Hamilton. Hamilton came in at the following lap, and despite a pit stop that was a tenth quicker than Verstappen's, the power of the undercut and an impressive outlap by Verstappen meant that the Mercedes came out alongside the Red Bull, with the latter taking the lead into the first corner. For the next ten laps, Hamilton maintained the pressure on Verstappen, sticking right with him, but by lap 32, the gap had opened, and Red Bull committed to an unexpected two-stop strategy, pitting Verstappen for the mediums. After his outlap, there was an 18-second gap to the lead, and Verstappen began eating away at this, taking two seconds a lap out of Hamilton. Verstappen passed his teammate on lap 35 before chasing down Bottas and passing him with little difficulty on lap 44. Despite running on old tyres, Hamilton impressively managed to find pace seemingly from nowhere as Verstappen was held up by backmarkers, but it was not enough and on the penultimate lap, Verstappen was within DRS range and regained the lead into the chicane before pulling clear on the final lap. Perez came across the line P3, having passed Bottas who had nothing left in his tyres, and best of the rest went to Lando Norris who made a late stop and managed to fight his way past those who had stopped earlier. Ricardo came home P6, holding on to that place despite Gasly and Alonso on his tail, with the Aston Martins of Vettel and Stroll taking the final points. 
Jess, you touched on the strategy cause of Red Bull. We had the early error from Max Verstappen, but aside from that, everything came together pretty brilliantly for them. Brilliant strategy decisions for both drivers there. We had Checo staying out longer, and then we had Max going for the undercut, of course. They were really continuing to adapt as the race unfolded, switching to the two-stop strategy then. And then Max putting in a mighty drive to, first of all, keep ahead of the Mercedes when he was being chased down, and then to chase them down in the final stint. Really solid performance across the board. What did you make of Red Bull as a team today and the way that they all worked together to bring home such an impressive and solid result? Yeah, it's kind of, it was the ideal race for Red Bull bar that start, but we're going to thank them for Max's start because it spiced things up a little bit um, and made everybody have to think about what they were going to do long term. But there were just a multitude of variables going on during that race that Red Bull and all the other teams had to adapt to. You know, they weren't expecting the tyres to degrade as fast Mm -hmm. as they were going to. Um, Bottas flat spotted his tyres and had to come in early, which kind of then set, you know, the Mercedes strategy into motion because they couldn't pit Lewis who was running in P1 at that point um so you know and Red Bull have been waiting for a race whereby they have all of their tricks up their sleeve in terms of um they've got the the right pace they've got the both drivers up there being able to be used strategically because I guess that's what they've been waiting for they've been waiting for Perez to be in a position where they can start using him to 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 enable them to play out these strategy calls and and force the undercut and stuff like that. So it's it it was it was barred the mistake um, by Max at the beginning. It was a pretty flawless performance from Red Bull, um, and we know that they are they tend to take the more ballsy approaches to strategy. Um, but but that's usually when they're on the back foot. So to have mm. them in a position where they were obviously they had Max's pole position that was lost very quickly uh, in the race. But, you know, we're used to them making up ground. But in, in this case, they just absolutely nailed it. So, yeah, pretty pretty impressive, pretty commanding drive from the Red Bull outfit, um, which, you know, Mercedes had to respond to and they just didn't have the answers today, which we're not used to seeing. We're not used to seeing Mercedes being on the back foot, but this has taken another massive chunk out of the constructors and the drivers championship for Mercedes, um, which, I mean, I'm thrilled because if this championship battle keeps going all the way down to the wire, then uh, this season is going to go down as, you know, one of the one of the best, if not the best of the hybrid era. So I'm excited. I'm pumped. It's definitely gearing up for that. And as you said, not used to seeing Mercedes on the back foot, but staying on Red Bull for just a second, what was it that actually impressed you guys the most about Max's drive? Because like we said, he had to adapt with the team, with the strategy calls, being under that pressure from Hamilton and then having to apply the pressure himself. Codders, what was it that impressed you the most? I thought he was pretty pretty cool under pressure, it seemed. And you know, the presumably... You know, obviously we don't we don't hear all the uh, dialogue between the car and the pit wall. This strategy of doing two stops will have been probably not something that was improvised. It it will have been maybe a plan B or a plan C that they were considering or they they had in the tank. So to my mind, it was very very impressive that they pulled the trigger on that when he was leading the race. And when when it happened, I kind of thought, oh, that's a bit brave. And then I I kind of looked down at where Perez was and saw that if if either Mercedes pitted, they would come up behind him. And I thought, well, actually, do you know, I I, th- I think this is time we we all do do a hat tip because that is is. It's it's brave because it means Max has to overtake, but actually that's de-risked it because it's forced Mercedes into sticking to the to the one-stop strategy. So all Max then needs to do is to basically do a Lewis Hamilton and and yeah. make the team strategy work. And didn't he just? Um, I thought it was brilliant. So yeah, great job by Max. Really good drive from him, and as you said, brave, but. It forced Mercedes' hands. Lewis came out and said afterwards there was nothing they could do as soon as they made that call. And we literally had to just sit back and watch and count down as the laps went to see whether 
Max would catch up and ultimately he did. Now I want to talk about the power of the undercut because we really saw it paying off for Daniel initially and then Max. We've seen Toto and even Christian saying they weren't actually expecting it to be quite as powerful as it was. Luke, can you talk us through why the undercut did prove to be so powerful today? With the tyres, I think everybody was really caught out this weekend about how much deg there was and therefore how big the delta would be when you pitted, took a set of fresh tyres and just how much quicker you could go. And it was always going to be, I think, what would decide the battle at the front, particularly when we saw in that first stint, there wasn't much separating Hamilton, Verstappen and Bottas as well in third and Perez had obviously dropped back a little bit. But it really flagged up for me on lap 15, I believe, which was, uh, sorry, lap 16, which was when, that was when Daniel Ricciardo pitted. And obviously they were in this fight with Leclerc, Gasly, Norris was around as well. And Ricciardo pitted and he was told box to get ahead of Gasly because Gasly yeah. was in front of him on track and they thought, we'll get the undercut there. And Ricardo uh, pitted, came out, but he came out behind Charles Leclerc, who had pitted a couple of laps earlier and hadn't really bit, seemed to be much of a factor. And that was when I sort of went, well, hang on a minute, this undercut looks pretty powerful. Uh, Ricardo pitted, and then we saw the lap after Ricardo, Sainz and Gasly, they both pitted as well. And then they came out behind both Ricardo and the clerk as well. So it showed just how big the undercut force was. And that really sort of, I think, got alarm bells going as to, okay, this undercut is going to be a massive, massive influence at the front of the pack. So obviously, if you're Mercedes, you're in a bit of a, a catch-22 where you don't want to blink too early and come in too soon but also you don't want to be beaten to the punch and you don't want to lose out on that undercut which is what they ultimately did and Toto Wolff he explained after the race in the media um, call that ultimately they had to bring Bottas in first because he had a vibration he'd really gone through his tyres they were worried it was going to fail at any moment so they had to bring him in first and that kind of set off the chain reaction and um, Nico Rosberg I know he said he said a lot on Sky this weekend and I know he said after verbal the race diarrhea. That, oh, I, <laughs> he, he said to Tosa like oh we're trying to be a bit greedy like try and get Bottas ahead of Verstappen as well and Tosa was like that wasn't it at all it was literally that we had to bring him in because we were worried about what those tyres were going to do but that ultimately set the way for, for Mercedes downfall it meant that Bottas came in Red Bull then reacted the very next lap with Verstappen and by the time Hamilton came in a lap later it was already too late. Like the undercut was yeah. just so, so powerful. It meant that they were able to get the jump. So that was really where the race fell down for Mercedes. And it kind of put them in, in this position where, yeah, they were putting pressure on Verstappen, maybe thinking, well, can we get ahead on, on the hards? And then Red Bull took it out of Mercedes' hands completely. As you said, they dictated what was going to happen in the race by saying, look, we're coming in. It was a used set of mediums that Max put on, but obviously not too used because he was able to do the rest of the race on them just fine. And yeah, Lewis Hamilton said after the race that we couldn't do anything because if they'd have reacted a lap later, they'd have come out behind and been in exactly the same position. So there was no point. So yeah, I thought it was a brilliant bit of work by Red Bull. Um, I'm going to apologise publicly to Jess for nabbing her Uno reverse uh tweet because uh I, that was pretty shameless on my part but it was a it was a good one it was a good one um, but that's exactly what they did they looked at what happened in spain and just went look we're gonna do exactly the opposite and we're gonna play play you at your own game and christine horner said after the race that they they had that in their mind they didn't want a repeat of barcelona and i think that is a really good example of red bull doing a mercedes really which is learn from your defeats come back stronger and ultimately it was that i think boldness and aggressiveness that won them today's race. I'm glad the message I sent to you about Nico Rosberg was unprintable in an open medium. Otherwise, you'd have nicked that as well. Luke doesn't nab, but it was it was just funny because I'd sent it to him on Teams and then I saw it on Twitter and I was like, hey, hang on a second. Screenshotted. Yeah, Jess did out you. Yeah. I, I did see the screenshot. She the receipts. I can't... I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't salty at all. I was, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, we're we're all we're all colleagues, we're all friends. We're all we can share memes, it's fine. <laughs> Dig into the tire deck a bit later in the episode. I wanna stay on Mercedes for a little bit because there's been a lot of questions asked about their strategy decisions today. And I wanna dig into them a little bit. As we've mentioned, of course, they had to bring in Valtteri sooner than they would have liked because of the fact that he was experiencing the vibrations and that then sort of triggered the pit stops of the top three. But why did they leave Lewis out for that extra lap rather than bringing him in sooner? And had they brought him in sooner, 
would they have avoided being a victim to that undercut, do you think? They did think the undercut was enough. So I think that they, they, I think, and Toto said after the race that they needed probably another second and then they would have yeah. been okay, which obviously the, the margins by which you saw them exit the pits, I think tallies up with that. Um, yeah, and I think that that's, and that's something that when I did the article sort of explaining the Bottas stop, a lot of fans came back and said, well, why didn't they just bring Lewis in one lap later? I think, yeah, maybe they thought that, okay, if we have the undercut, if we've got enough time and if we can get another lap or two, then, then so be it. Maybe Max won't want to come in as early as well so we could sort of keep playing this game of um, cat and mouse with them. But um, in the end obviously it didn't work out like that i'm sure it's something i imagine in the coming days when mercedes do their usual uh, excellent i must say um debrief uh, probably james vows i imagine will be doing it this week that it may get answered then um but yeah that's something that obviously hindsight is a wonderful thing but i think mercedes may look at that and go if they if they had come in on lap 18 exactly the same time as max they probably would have been okay and it could have been a very different race if max hadn't done the job and overtaking Lewis, well, the conversation right now would be: uh, haven't Red Bull made a colossal mistake in yielding yeah. track position? It's one of those decisions where um, you kind of you get it right. Everyone goes, "Yeah, you're a genius." But uh, if 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 it hadn't worked out, we'd have been lambasting their stupidity and uh, and and massive appetite for risk that didn't need to be taken. And like yeah. you know, the, the the win the win was taken in the in the closing laps it wasn't like it was it was all it all fell apart you know there was a point where we thought in the closing stages lewis might hold on um that was until uh i think max got around pretty quickly uh lewis's teammate but you know it it, it didn't all fall apart all to, altogether there was when lewis started finding pace again out of nowhere it was kind of yeah. like oh is he gonna pull an absolute worldie here and hold on to this win um which would have been true lewis hamilton style considering how much everybody else was struggling um but i was gonna say to do with that pit stop where uh, where max took where max took the lead it was we've been a bit critical of race direction um, recently, and I don't know if this was a mistake or not, but the shot down the straight as Lewis was coming out of the pits and it was just held and there was nothing there. There were no cars. It was just a shot down the straights. And then you saw Lewis appear in the pit lane and then you saw Max appear uh, coming down the straight. I-, I genuinely thought that was a brilliant bit of TV direction, whether or not it was meant or uh, like done, done uh, on purpose or not. I genuinely, I, my heart was going, I was almost stood up going, oh my gosh, because you couldn't tell how close they were. Yeah. Um, and I was wasn't look, I wasn't looking at track deltas either, so I couldn't see like how much Max was closing in. Um, so for a viewer, it was uh, highly dramatic. I, I, I did enjoy that quite a lot. It was dramatic. I was exactly the same. You couldn't quite make it out until they came to uh, approaching the corner. And I was just like, oh my God, how is this going to unravel? But the other thing that I then wanted to touch on was, of course, we heard Bottas' very angry radio saying, you know, in more abusive words that they should have done a two-stop they didn't listen to him and we also heard Lewis at the end saying you know I told you earlier about pace indicating that perhaps he also had suggested they should have taken a different approach and we heard him on the radio in the racing make sure we undercut them next time why did Mercedes not do that undercut and not risk the two-stop and allow Red Bull to pull that card because of Sergio Perez and I think that is a huge testament not only to the performances that Perez is doing, but also Red Bull's decision to bring him into the team, is to have this second driver to stop giving Mercedes basically a two-on-one advantage where they can split strategies and basically always ensure they've got Red Bull covered off somehow. We saw Perez, he had quite a, quite a sluggish start to the race, I think, it, think it's fair to say, he dropped back quite, a, quite away from the leading trio, but he was just saving his tyres, so he could go a good seven, six or seven laps longer than the, than the leading uh, three drivers. And obviously we saw towards the end when he did pass and, and catch, catch and pass Bottas, just how beneficial that, those extra laps were. But throughout, he was always within that window and he was always making it so Mercedes couldn't take a free stop and they couldn't just quickly go, oh, okay, they bring him in. Um, and they basically had to sort of just stick with the one stop to begin with. And it was something that um, it was something that Toto Wolf said after the race, said that Perez was always a danger. And he, I, mm. I said to him, is Red Bull, is it a bigger threat now, basically, because they've got this second driver there? And he said, yeah, because we can't just sort of split strategies. There isn't that option there that with all due respect to Alex Albon, who's had a very good debut weekend in DTM, I think it's worth mentioning. And, uh, and obviously Pierre Gasly before him. 
Red Bull, they were always kind of, they never had this kind of support when they needed it. Whereas today, Perez not only gave the support, but then actually got the podium as well, which was fantastic. So it meant that, yeah, Mercedes, they couldn't really look at the two-stop um, with much comfort because there was always this rear gunner for Verstappen that hasn't been there in recent times. And I think it, it just worked out really well for Red Bull today. I thought that Perez drove a brilliant race. We know just how good he is with his tyre management. And today was where it really, really counted. It's been a weak point for Valtteri Bottas in, in the past. And I think today you sort of saw the two the two wingmen. I don't think they'll like me calling them that. But in this example, I think it, it is accurate. That they, um, I think the, the gulf between them was, was quite noticeable. So, yeah, I think Perez did his job perfectly made it some Mercedes again. They kind of had, they couldn't be aggressive because Red Bull took that out of their hands, both with Verstappen by bringing him in early, but also it was always going to be tricky if Mercedes wanted to go down that path because Perez was there. So yeah, full credit, I think, to Perez for cornering off that strategy. And this is at least the second time this season that Bottas has moaned uh, loudly about strategy without understanding why he was committed to the strategy that he was on. So effing and blinding, why wasn't I put on a two-stop strategy? Um, fair play to you know the people on the other end of the line who said, well, you know, if if you fancied your chances of catching and passing Perez when you came up behind him, as you would, then okay, fine, we can talk about this later. But you know, in in these circumstances, silence is the best thing. So they didn't respond and have it all go Jeremy Kyle on the radio, which would have been entertaining, but um, uh, probably not the best for Mercedes' image. Toto Wolff himself, himself, he was asked about um, Bottas's message and he said, I quite liked it. He said he liked it. Yeah, I saw that. That steel and, and that reaction. And he said he didn't want it to be that his driver sort of keeping things internalised. He liked it that Valtteri was sort of speaking up. So I think that's good. And I think that it's going to be, obviously we've had a lot of chat this weekend about oh, George Russell, what's going on with this and, and the future. And obviously that's going to continue, I think, for as long as it is until Mercedes actually do make a decision. But I'm just going to be really interested to see this sort of more more fire coming out of Bottas, whether that's him sort of, I don't know, maybe frustrated at the situation about his future or just his own performances or what. Because um, it's not been a great start for the year. I mean, I, I really had a double take at the driver's standings after today when he's still fifth in the standings. He's 17 points behind Lando Norris even. And mm-hmm. it, it's it's um it's not been a great start. And I just, I'm just keen to know that are we going to see more of this effing and jeffing on the radio? Is he going to get a bit more punchy? Because I think his performance through most of this weekend was actually very good. I thought in qualifying he was excellent. Um, the early part of the race as well, he was good. Total Wolf said he was actually very happy with his display today. Um, but yeah, is is that radio message maybe a sign of things to come that he's actually not going to settle and he's going to be, hang on a minute, no, I do want to question things more, maybe just push the boundaries that little bit more. I'm going to be cautiously excited for more to come. Uh, but I hope that it is for for the sake of the championship fight and for keeping things exciting. I did want to talk about his his par, his instant with Verstappen when Verstappen obviously passed him towards the end. He had no tyres left and he'd come on the radio and said that that was an issue already. There wasn't really much he could do. But do you feel that the tyres were entirely to blame or do you think he could have done more? We heard Nico Rosberg, as we've discussed already, very vocal after the race saying that it was you know a poor defence anyway. Do you think he could have done more or no fair play? He was running on ties that had had everything taken out of them. Jess? I mean, I think it was neither here nor there. I think it was a done deal. And as he said afterwards, he was a sitting duck. So if he'd have got him on, I mean, obviously it's all what ifs and buts and all that kind of thing. I mean, I it would have, it would have been nicer to see Bottas try and make himself as wide as possible, especially around Paul Ricard where... It is a little challenging for these cars to pass, although, as we've kind of touched on, Lando Norris and Danny Ricciardo didn't seem to get that memo. Um, but, you know, it's could he, could he have done a little bit more for the team? Maybe. Would it have made too much of a difference? Arguably arguably not, although we did touch on the fact that had it been a, uh, you know, a couple laps shorter, Lewis might have been able to have hold, uh, held on to the, to the lead. Um, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, Rosberg was Rosberg was pretty fiery. Um, yes, I was he was. Quite, I was quite shocked that he went quite so savage. It was kind of like you can kind of almost understand as well. I mean, can you or can't you? I'm I'm not I'm not too sure. But when he was he was clearly very upset. 
at the end of the day, he's got a job to do as the Mercedes in that second position. Mercedes would have wanted him to help to have held the Stappen up for as long as possible, and he didn't really at all. So maybe that's a that's a question for another time. Um, but yeah, I think it was just uh, he needs better. He needs better performances. He needed that P three. Um, I would be I would be a little bit more um, kind of questionable about whether or not he fought as hard to chase down Perez because the whole reason why, and I saw a lot of questions on Twitter asking about, well, why didn't Mercedes pit Bottas and take away the fastest lap point from Verstappen? Um, which obviously, when we're talking about how close the championship is, every point is going to count. Um, but the reason for that was that um, Mercedes were pretty sure that Perez was going to get a five-second penalty Um uh, for uh, going off track when he overtook Bottas. Um, but it ended up that the stewards decided that there was nothing to really look at there. Um, and in any case, he finished more than five seconds behind Perez anyway. So it was kind of like a lose-lose situation for him. Like It was just, it wasn't ever going to come up roses for him. So yeah, um, I don't really think that there's much to look into there. He needs better performances. He can't be tootling around in P4 because you've got people like Lando Norris. And can we believe we're saying that a McLaren is a, is is threatening a Mercedes driver? Um, but yeah, he, he's he needs he needs better. He needs more podiums, and he needs he needs a win <laughs> desperately. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether or not that means that he needs to get his elbows out more potentially and a McLaren driver not just threatening a Mercedes driver but ahead of them in the championship as well which is just crazy to think of before we move on to Mercedes a little public service announcement as we're delighted to have our first sponsor of the Autosport podcast for the new season and we want to thank the team at Curve for supporting the show now over the last year I've stopped carrying cash and switched to card only but of course that means different cards for different accounts but that is where Curve comes into it It's an absolutely fab idea as you can literally combine your whole personal wallet into one app, one card and one pin number. That means all of your accounts across different banks can be seen in one place. Now Curve isn't another bank account so don't worry you don't need to add another account to your list but instead Curve allows you to simply organize your existing accounts. There is also a cashback feature which is brilliant as you can get rewarded on your purchases whether these are in-store or in-line, whatever it might be, flights, hotels, Amazon, even subscriptions like Netflix and Spotify, you can claim your cash back. The list of features goes on, including tracking receipts, amazing foreign exchange rates, basically all the perks you need, especially as F1 fans, for when things open up and we can get travelling to different races again. The basic card is totally free, and because they're our sponsor, we have a special gift for you. Make your first purchase as small as 1p and you get £5. Just go to curve.com forward slash auto and you'll be helping the show in the process. Having a little look into Curve is clearly a good decision, but today we had a lot of questions being asked about the decisions made by the Mercedes strategy team. So let's get into them. The strategy today did let Mercedes down and did work to Red Bull's advantage. Is what does this look like now looking forward to the next two races? Of course, they're both in Austria, same track. What do you think Mercedes need to do and can do in the time frame that we have to improve things ahead of Styrian Grand Prix and Austrian Grand Prix? Kind of stuck with what they've got because at this stage, they're not going to be realistically, they don't have the time to throw any development at the car between this week and mm-hmm. next week the stuff's already Few being days. driven off in a land yeah exactly it's it's already in the back of a truck and going there will be some you know we, we have to use this word nowadays learnings uh going on back at the factory in terms of understanding what the car's capable of but i, I kind of think you know that that car is now at the end of its development road and it's a matter of just basically working with it and trying to maximize what they have with it they're already looking at next year's car so um question is whether whether it will suit the circuit and certainly last year um that track hosted the first two grand prix of the year and mercedes did pretty well didn't they you've got to say however um red bull have 
come on leaps and bounds since then. That car, they turned a corner with it towards the tail end of last year. So I don't think we can view the form guide from so this time last year as, as being particularly relevant because the the Red Bull are in a very, very different place. So it will be a lot closer, I'm pretty sure. Now, moving down the pack to P5 and P6, as we've said, the McLarens, who were definitely on good form today, lots of overtakes by the two drivers, Lando finishing ahead of Daniel Ricciardo. Now, Lando was kept out longer on the tyres and Listening to the commentary on Sky, they were making it come across as if this was quite detrimental at the time, but obviously in the end it did actually completely pay off, coming home fifth, another P5 finish for him this season, which is incredible. He is just continuing with his consistency this season, isn't he, Luke? It's hard to put into words, actually, just how good Lando has been this year. I think I saw a stat that of the seven races this year, he's finished six of them in the top five, which is incredible I mean he's just performing so consistently and he's not he's not having a bad weekend really like he's not had these sort of massive ups and downs in form he's just been relentlessly consistent he's hardly putting a foot wrong even a weekend like um, Baku where it was maybe the pace wasn't quite there as he was expecting he's still able to rally and, and salvage a really good result from it. And it was the same today. I mean, we saw saw the early part of the race, he was sitting P10 and you kind of think, oh, okay, we'll see how things go here. And Ricardo looked to be the lead McLaren who was really making moves. But as you said, that longer first stint, that set Lando up really nicely for the second half of the race. And he was then able to get the jump on Ricardo and the rest of the midfielders to, to come home fifth and, and do what McLaren, that's really the maximum they can be going for right now. But he didn't just win the sort of class B battle is where he absolutely smashed the field. He was 11.8 seconds clear of Ricardo in sixth at the end. And it was just a phenomenal display. And I think that we're, if we're sort of discussing like drives of the season, I know we're not even a third of the way through at the moment. So it's very hard to say sort of too firmly who's going to be our stars come the end of the year. But really, I mean, Lando's been up there with, I mean, even even Lewis and Max, I think they've made more errors than Lando has. Lando's barely put a foot wrong this year. So he deserves all the credit in the world. And I think that McLaren, the way that project is sort of building, the fact they've gotten into a long-term contract, the fact that he's had Ricardo come into the team and he's just got on with it and been a team leader, really, it's just, it's just amazing. And I think he's such a star. He's got so much quality and... What we are seeing this season from him, yeah, is sort of one of those big breakout midfield performances that were it were the driver market very, very different, then you would sort of say the top teams would be going, well, okay, we've got to get this guy. Like, he's completely outstripping the performances of this car. Um, obviously, that's not the case. McLaren is probably the right place for Lando to be at the moment. But yeah, he deserves huge credit for what he's doing at McLaren. I think today, particularly with Ferrari not scoring and McLaren getting a real, real good haul of points, I think they can be so pleased with how they did. And Lando really spearheaded their charge. Lando made a tricky strategy work. Um, and so we've we've praised Max for for doing the same. Lando was was given a, a bit of a tricky hand. I know I I, I did slightly mock the. Sky commentary team for um, uh, heaping audio on the McLaren strategists. That's why the strategists are paid what they're paid, right? You paid know, the they are bucks. meant to. Yeah. They're meant to know more than us mere mortals yeah. um, who yeah, can only. They, they are the see data wranglers. They are. They are. Um, yeah. So and yeah, it was interesting. He, he, he did well. He was only three seconds behind Gasly, so that's not bad. And he was right on his tail inside three laps, and then. You know, within six laps, he was past uh, Leclerc, Gasly, and Sainz. So at that point, no doubt the um, you know, McLaren strategists will be thinking to themselves, "Well, shove that in your cake hole, uh, commentators. Uh, we'll take that as a win." And he's just so exciting to watch. I think that's the thing as well. Like he's so exciting to watch as a driver. Um, and the way that his confidence is, is something that we've probably spoken about a number of times on this podcast whenever we talk about Lando Norris, but his confidence from if you remember his first ever race where all he wanted to do was was make it through the first corner and so backed way out of any action to now where he's putting his like nose where sometimes you'd be like, oh, that was a bit risky, but he's pulling it off with such finesse that is just so exciting to watch. And you, you almost know now that if he has, where he's been falling down from what I can see, 
is on Saturdays where, and not always through fault of his own, but but anyway, he ends up lower down than he's meant to. And then he's got to claw his way back up, but he does. He does. Where where other people, you know, were saying, uh, you know, we've we've had instances where Bottas has struggled to make pace, places up or, you know, drivers that we were expecting, you should be able to fly through this pack. He's, he's absolutely just so exciting to watch, such a talent. Um, and he's, he is slightly showing up his more experienced teammate, even though, as we've touched on, Dan, we saw Daniel Ricciardo today back. And I remember he was talking about how he was actually, Ricciardo was saying that he was looking forward to this triple header because he wants the flow. He wants to just kind of almost, you know, day in, day out, just be thinking about racing, 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 not have a day off, not have a time to pause and to keep the momentum going. Well, he's, he's he's absolutely got off to a blinder if that's what he wants so i'm genuinely so excited to see what those two are going to do next time out um so yeah it's really i've got a big grin on my face i think it's, it's it was a great race for both of them and it's just so good to see um because they're also just i mean not that we should judge racing drivers on this but they're also just really lovely drivers um and it's always good to see good drivers doing well um, and they're exciting yeah. for the sport them too especially their mm. characters are very exciting for the sport they bring in a new fan base and they're fun to watch you mentioned Daniel Ricciardo's performance today we definitely saw some of the old Daniel Ricciardo I say old but I'm sure it never went anywhere um, what did you make of his drive today Luke some good overtakes and he was just looking more comfortable with the car yeah, big time. I think he was very punchy. And as you say, sort of back to the Ricardo. you think of his sort of best races with Red Bull. He was always late on the brakes, always making these really daring passes. And we saw that again. And we saw some some really good moves on Alonso, on the clerk as well. Heard him getting a little bit uh, spicy over the radio, saying something that obviously you can't repeat on the podcast. But he was asked about that after the race. And he said, um, if, I'm, if I'm smack talking, then that probably means I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> and that was really good because he's been, yeah, it's not been the Daniel Ricciardo that we're used to and I think everyone's been a a little bit surprised by it so far this season so for him to sort of come to a very normal track uh, poor Ricard and put in such a solid display I think that was really really good and yeah we're going to the backs-backs now in Austria and I think that gives him a really good chance to sort of get to grips with sort of where the McLaren is and and make it work and be able to learn I think and and take another big step towards uh, sort of matching Lando's performance but in terms of outright pace today I thought I thought Ricardo was was really really excellent I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he did Um, and yeah Lando probably had a more favourable strategy, so therefore you can't really say they were sort of on the same playing field in, in terms of where they were going to finish. So the gap between them at the end maybe a little bit um, exaggerated in terms of the outright performance, but really he did what he had to do. McLaren, if they want to lead the midfield, their cars should be coming home fifth and sixth at a minimum. That is exactly what they did today, and if they keep doing that, they'll beat Ferrari third in the constructors. So, so yeah, I think that. Signs of the old Ricardo again in inverted commas old uh, coming back did what he had to do. They can take a lot of credit, I think, for uh, their performance today. Very very strong day for the McLarens, but let's talk about the Ferraris because, of course, they're their competitor, their closest rivals in the constructors championship. And today was really just a disaster for the Ferraris really struggling with their tyres. We heard both Charles and Carlos talking about how bad the degradation was, worse than they'd been expecting, as we've mentioned. Codders, you've said that they shouldn't be surprised at this. We know that this is a track that is hard on degradation, but why is it then that the Ferraris especially were struggling just so much? What is it with that car that is just a disaster when it comes to days like this? Difficult to know without being privy to the engineering debrief, but obviously that's a car that, is aggressive on its tyres. Now, under certain circumstances, that is a positive. You know, in qualifying, it enables you to get um, the tyres up to uh, the the temperature window quickly. So you're able to pop out a a decent lap in qualifying. Over the course of a race stint, that becomes less of a virtue. And yeah, it, it, it was very disappointing. I'm not sure that you can engineer that characteristic out of a car, um, at this stage in a season like this uh, you just have to live with it so there's going to be tracks that they go to where they know they're going to be uh, on the back foot and Leclerc did say that 
he thought he underperformed in qualifying. In actual fact, his phraseology was was slightly more explicit than that. Um, so he was always on the back foot. But ahead of every Grand Prix, you know, a, a certain email arrives in our inbox, and and I view it as kind of like a little bit of light comedy, and that is the Pirelli's um, possible strategies document. And it's always good to sort of have that piece of paper printed out and, and next to you on the sofa or at your desk or wherever you're watching the race. So you can see how far the actual um, actual events differ from this sort of mad um, cloud cuckoo land fantasy that's landed in your inbox. Now, the the, the the suggested pit window was laps 18 to 25 for the people starting on the medium tyres. And what the clerk had to stop on, what, yeah, lap 14. So he managed 14 laps. So earlier than earlier. And that should have really been the signifier that this was not going to be a one-stop race for a lot of the entrants. And to, to muller through those tyres in 14 laps uh, at a, in a race that everyone was expecting to be a one-stopper was just instant death. So it was no surprise at all that Leclerc struggled for the rest of the race, even though he did uh, undercut Ricardo significantly and gave us that clue as to how the race would pan out. Science, yeah, it, it, it was such a shame, wasn't it? You know, he, he looked to be running pretty strongly early on, uh, was holding Gasly off, and then just at, at the end fell off faster than Richard Chamberlain in the towering inferno. It was a really disappointing day for Ferrari, and you could see in the interviews after the disappointment in both the drivers' faces. Uh, so they'll be hoping that going into the next two races, things look a little better for them. I wanted to ask, of course, this weekend we also had the change to the pressures for the tyres. How much do you think that has affected the teams? Because, of course, all the data that they would have had would have probably been based around the previous pressures. Will this increase in the PSI have played a part in why the team struggled a little bit more with planning things out today, when they were going to pit? Of course, the email that you mentioned as well probably... Not very, not very helpful. Not a good indication. But will that have played a part at all, Luke? Yeah, probably a question for someone a bit more maybe technically minded than a humble <laughs> F1 reporter. But, JBL, uh, but no, where it's, are uh, you? It's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Baking it's a, a cake, good point. probably. And, um, yeah, probably. Um, actually, no. I, apparently, he's delivering some food at the moment, but didn't click uh, order, so he's having a bit of issue issue with the his oh, delivery. But the we've all been through. Anyway, um, yeah, it was. I think it did. Um, obviously, that was a big talking point throughout the weekend in terms of what they were doing with the tyres and, and the changes, uh, jacking up the pressures. And but the only driver who made a big reference to it on Friday was Lewis Hamilton, and he sort of said yeah. that he was struggling, and he said, "Oh, these tyres are so inflated." And but that was kind of it, and it wasn't really a like a dig at Pirelli and sort of making the point. It was just a, a passing comment, really. And otherwise, the drivers, no one really sort of came out with a big statement about okay you know, there's going to be a big issue on Sunday and we're, we're going to struggle um, and uh, obviously in FP2 your sort of long run pace you're going to do sort of eight nine ten laps really and that's going to be your your sample going into the actual race itself and um, I mean Cod as he said with the clerk that wasn't actually too far off what the uh, ultimate um, length of his stint was but um it was. I think it was something that they, yeah, they they had in mind. And actually, I know I've just been sent this um, while we've been doing this podcast. Otmar Safna, he was actually quite punchy uh, after the race, uh, sort of about the tire deck because uh, Aston Martin they ran a really good race uh, with Vessel and Stroll, got them both up into the points with some some long strategies. And um, he he sort of was very much um, tooting Aston Martin's own horn and saying, look, we had a very good understanding of what to do. We've showed it again here this weekend. There's new technical directives came out, higher pressures. We followed all of that and we still did a good job on the tyres. You maybe have to look at some of our competitors who went a bit backwards to see what they were doing. So nice sort of like pop shots, even when this Pirelli saga seems to be long gone. Um, yeah, it was it was, it was was quite interesting. Um, I think that Ferrari, they're going to go away and obviously have a big sort of look at what the struggle was today because they were worse off of everybody. Uh, Science, he said mm-hmm. he felt his tyres were degrading twice as fast as the cars around him. So it's something that they they need to look at. They have struggled more when it's been hotter. So I think when it was struggling in a, in a cooler race today, that was maybe a bit of a surprise. It's something for them to get their head around. But I think that the tyre pressures themselves, that was maybe, yeah, it's maybe a bit, it's a bit obvious if we just said, well, that's why they struggled. And I think that Ferrari probably would have flagged that already had that been the cause of it. So I think it's probably something a bit deeper uh, with the SF21 they need to get their head around. 
correlation doesn't equal causation. Just because something's, something's changed and then something else has happened, it doesn't necessarily mean that one thing has followed the other. You know, we're at a different circuit. Uh, the different cars all have different characteristics that vary, cause the performances to vary from circuit to circuit. So there are too many variables for us to say definitively that this rise in tyre pressures has hurt one car more than another it might have done but i think you know more information required really yeah simple conclusions codders it's like a chassis swap obviously means that everybody's (laughs) performance is gonna right that's what happens dear lord you know the weariness dripping from every paragraph of luke's story on that Honestly, I I was so so I I've I've not I've not written I've not written a, a feature for Autosport in in a while just owing to um to some life stuff going on, um and uh, but last night I was just like oh this is this is doing my night and I spoke to a few people and they they were just like this is just such a non-story so I, I did um yeah I wrote, wrote wrote that story this morning got it all finished off and, and online and I actually then got a message from uh, Mercedes uh, about five minutes after that I got online and it just said thank you that, that's all they said and I was like oh, that's very very nice because yeah it was such a again and again Nico Rosberg having his uh stoking the fire a little bit in in with that as well with with his comments about it and it, it was such a just such a, a boring story and it really it just wasn't a thing and I could completely understand why Mercedes was so done to death with it because it wasn't a conspiracy it wasn't something that was even worth noting it was a chassis swap and it's something that teams do very regularly it's something mclaren do very very regularly without any sort of anyone batting an eyelid and had it not been for a question from a a child in the thursday press conference which is a a new element the fia have introduced recently and saying oh do you always drive the same car and bottas going oh i think i've got a new chassis this weekend we probably wouldn't have cared we wouldn't have made any note about it it wouldn't have at all been talked about this weekend but because it's Formula One and because we love conspiracy, it, it gets completely spooled up. And even when Mercedes do explain it, a day later, it's, oh, can you clear that up for us, please? And it's just like, it, it's already been said. So I, I I don't understand it. And even then, yeah, Codders, I wrote that article, I, I posted it online. And then even then people are like, oh, but we like conspiracies. Like, come on, don't don't spoil the fun. And it's But our job as journalists is to get to the bottom of things and ask the questions. We ask the questions, we got an explanation. That's it. And I, I'm just like... Yeah, it's just something that I hope that will come the next race or whenever they swap chassis again. It's not, oh, they've done it again. Like, what's it going to be? Because it really doesn't make any difference. And I'm sorry for that. The Britney Spears stratagem. (laughs) And even after the race, even after the race, it was um, after uh, Lando called Gasly an idiot on the radio for their boot. Mm. And he had the two of them with a Skypad and Nico was like, oh, he called you an idiot. And it's just like... Don't do that. It's not that deep. I've actually, I've quite enjoyed Nico's insight. Um, When was he that he was last time out? I have no, genuinely. I think he, because the thing is, is that you do, you do want somebody who isn't afraid to pull some of the punches. He's a bit punchier. But I think, but I think today, today he was a, I don't know, maybe he just wanted some news columns written like he wanted some headlines he's got about it the him. son have already run an article about his comments about lewis so he's done he's done his job yeah. exactly and his youtube channel uh, will probably get a few more views so great and let's move on to george russell because we didn't actually see much of him today on the feed because it was more focused obviously on the front of the pack but an impressive outcome for him p12 he got an overtake on ocon and sonoda and as we mentioned at the start you know there were no crashes no retirements etc so that that P12 was on merit, as he said himself. How did he manage that? What has he said since the race? How did he manage it? And what did you guys make of that finish, that P12 finish? I think especially good seeing as he had a, such a poor start as well. Um, he he dropped, he just did not get his tyres in the right temperature on his formation lap and paid the price. But yeah, to come back fighting after that was really quite impressive and it's it's just it's just good to also see that that the the Williams uh had the performance in it to 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 get to P12 so all just positive things but we again like we know what a talent Russell is um so it's kind of one of those things where you know it was a I guess it was a a mixture of everything coming together 
um, uh, in the right way for him. But um, I don't know if Codders has got any other. What's in Codders' notes on Russell? I always, I always like to know what's in uh, what's in Codders' notebook. The the my my, my notebook was um, I'd, I'd string a question marks on on lap three um, where I'd. I'd jotted down the positions and and seen that you know not only had he uh fallen behind his own teammate so you know good good job by nicholas latifi but he'd also been overtaken by yuki Tsunoda, who started from the, pit, started lane. the pit lane so yeah uh so the the own the only people he was ahead of were um belonged to some american organization fielding last year's car and were, were busy fighting each other so i kind of thought well is there any way back for george and periodically I, I was checking back on him and he was just making progress through the field and just sort of smoothly doing it and as you say you know it, it wasn't it was so undramatic that the 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 TV cameras didn't bother with it because he was just chalking it up here and there, and and it, it was a stealth result. And you know the it's it's just a shame that um, Williams is one of those teams that doesn't put its drivers up for a, a Zoom conference uh, at the end of the race. Um, and we'd have been able to drill down into that in, in a little bit more detail before coming on tonight because actually you know that that is one of the performances of the race. I think to to go that far backwards um, from from a position of you know, he, he he made it through to Q two if memory serves. Yeah, he had a he had a decent yeah. So and he obviously suffered because of the red flag. But um, to come back from that almost unobserved is quite a feat. Yeah, definitely. And he said after the race, he felt it, it was his and Williams's best race together. And I think that the fact it was so sort of innocuous but so good, I think that just speaks to how they just get their heads down they do the job and again it's just sod's law that they have these great races when all 20 cars get to the finish exactly. they're not lucky into any of these big results but um i mean Cod is making reference of um haas running last year's car we saw in baku obviously that that was a crazy race where you could get a big result and um mick schumacher him finishing 13th there that actually put haas above williams into ninth in the constructors and that may not seem like a lot but in terms of prize money and things like that that is really 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 significant that's a lot of money between 9th and 10th um so what russell did today his result getting them into 12th that takes williams back above haas and the constructors which is hugely important to the team so yeah i think they can be very very pleased with what they're doing i mean george he's doing he's doing everything he needs to do right now and again we've got so much chat around him about okay is he going to go to mercedes next year and blah 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 but he's just getting his head down and he's doing what he needs to do and I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that and yeah it was um it's just a shame that he's not got those points yet and hopefully Williams at one point they will sort of have the stars align where they have a great race and do everything perfectly and also four or five cars ahead do drop out and he can snare a point because he really really deserves it does indeed and it was a standout performance today even though we didn't see much of it. Definitely a brilliant, brilliant result for him. He finished ahead of Yuki Tsunoda, who started in the pit lane, as we said. Yuki came home P13, while Gasly came home P7. Of course, he qualified sixth, so didn't quite end up where he started. But what did you make of the Alpha Tauris today and their performance, Codders? Yeah, well, certainly Sonoda made a, a, a little go a long way in terms of, um, you know, his, his car was very broken. When you look at the number of penalties uh, that, that were incurred on that, and also they had to work on it in Park Ferme for, for various reasons, basically stitched the whole thing back together. You know, another quietly impressive race. Um, Gasly, to my mind, his only big blunder was his ridiculously opportunistic attempt to get past Norris. Yeah, it was, it was it was a decent race by Gasly, apart from that sort of moment of madness. Um, I think in the opening stint, my notes reveal that he sort of went backwards a little bit after the pit stops and seemed to lose touch. But he also said that he struggled through the opening stint on his tyres as well with the degradation. So there was also there was a tyre management issue for him as well. But yeah, Gasly's another driver who's doing um, a, a quietly impressive job, um, as did Lance Stroll today. I think we, we're going to have yes, to say some about nice things about him. Lance Stroll before we sign off. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, four, Take it away, gained four places within a couple of laps. Yeah, f- yeah, yeah. According to my notes, you know gained four places within a couple of laps and incredibly long first stint um mm-hmm. both cars and and both astons if, if i look elsewhere in in my notes when you consider how far apart on the grid they they started i think when they 
when they pitted, they were just yeah. Um, Stroll was only five seconds behind Vettel when they sort of began making their pit stops towards the end. So yeah, very very impressive race by by Lance. There, I said yeah, it. Brilliant, <laughs> a brilliant recovery drive from him, considering he started obviously at the back of the grid. Now let's also touch on the Alpines before we wrap things up. Alonso coming home P8 and Ocon P14. So we saw Alonso struggle on his first stint, you know, passed by the McLarens, but a decent result for him nonetheless. Jess, what did you think of the Alpines' performance today, both Alonso and Ocon? Because of course they didn't both have great days, but what did you make of it? That first stint when uh, Alonso was on the mediums and was struggling um, a lot and was getting swallowed up by uh, the McLarens et al., it was a bit... um, it was a bit. It was a bit sad to watch. It was a bit like, oh well, you know, they at the home race, the home Grand Prix. This result doesn't look very good. But then when he got the hards on, it was quite impressive. Um, and it was a kind of, I think people were saying, you know, glimpses of the Alonso that we remember. It was a. It was quite commanding. He got his elbows out. Um, it was a. It was a solid drive. Uh, one that we're used to from uh, from Fernando. So um, that was good. But yeah, Ocon on the other side of the garage was a bit not so good. Um, I don't see. I don't can't remember what I've got in my notes. He, he, he stopped early, didn't he? He had to stop earlier on that hard tire, and that kind of scuppered his race. Really, um, not being not making the same dent on the hards as uh, the Astons had it was uh, a bit of a shame really but once that happened he kind of just fell away completely um, just goes to show that that first that opening stint was quite important um, and those that got it right benefited and those that got it wrong went backwards the Alpha Romeos came home at P15 and P17 and then things were rounded up with the houses of in P19 and P20 like we've said, first race of a triple header. Looking ahead to the next two races in Austria, what are your thoughts or predictions? It can be for anywhere in the pack. Who do you think is looking strong going into the next two races and who do you think is looking like they could be in a little bit of trouble? Codders, you can go first and then Luke, you look in deep thoughts. So we'll go to you next. Lando Norris, I think, should bring home a decent result. Um given the way he's been going this season and obviously podium at this circuit last season, albeit in sort of crazy mixed up circumstances, but I'm sure he'll be in play. So yeah, I'm very confident that Lando Norris will get a good result uh, around the Red Bull ring. I would worry about Ferrari because I think that, I think this weekend has really shook them up. I think after two really good weeks in Monaco and Baku, and even after those two races, I kind of looked at it and I was like, there were only a couple of points clear of McLaren and the constructors. And they hadn't really made a big dent when they had the chance to. And I thought, mm, that might cost them. And it, it has already seen that. We've seen McLaren now take this big step forward. And Ferrari, they, they, they said early in the season, they worried about the drop-off in pace between their qualifying and then their race performances. And then I think after Spain, they were they were happier. They said, no, we think we've got on top of it. It's not so much of an issue. But we saw in France, it's just come roaring back. And I think that the sort of, yeah, the medium and high speed corners, they are struggling a lot more. They're struggling with tyre deg and things like that. So there's just so many question marks over Ferrari right now, even after back-to-back pole positions and looking a bit punchy, a bit like the old selves again. I think that they've now they're now in a position where they've got to go back to the drawing board a little bit and say, look, in this race against McLaren, who are so consistently bringing out these performances, Lando is performing so so well. I think Ferrari just needs to try and find a way to bounce back a little bit. So yeah, I think that the next couple of races, it's a big chance for McLaren to I think further put a dent in Ferrari's hopes in that fight for third. And I think for Ferrari, they've just got to use particularly the back to back in Austria to get to the bottom of of the issues with the car because okay it's an i mean a market improvement on last year's car let's face it not very difficult but they still have so much work to do um if they are to really i think get third place in their hands and take full advantage because right now mclaren aren't missing a beat and if ricardo has now finally got on top of his sort of early adaptation issues they're going to be really really hard to beat across the rest of the year and Jess, finally, you. Who are you looking out for in the next two races? It, it's it, Austria is quite a uh, a savage uh, track for the cars. We saw last time out when we were there, 
the Mercedes having to avoid curbs and um, there was a, a lot of issues around that. So that's something that I'm interested to see how it's going to play out again um, because, you know, if we get a similar situation as we got last time out um, for the Austrian Grand Prix where we had, I mean, I know it was the first race of the season um, and I think we were, everyone was a bit rusty um, including the cars by the looks of things. They weren't quite up to speed, but um, they it, it's an interesting track to see who's going who's gonna to come off uh, the best around there. So, you know, I just, all I want and all I think we're going to continue to get is that, that it is going to be really close. And I don't think, I can't predict how it's going to turn out. And I think that is a good thing um, that, you know, it could, it can go either way and it can be whoever brings the right strategy and the right setup for, uh, for the race weekend. I think it was interesting though, that Christian Horner said um, he, that he was hinting at uh, some front wing uh, yes. chat uh, whether or not they're going to throw a uh, a petition against that Mercedes front wing, so that's one to definitely look out for because uh, that could get quite politically interesting. Uh, these flexi wings don't seem to want to go away. Let's hope chassis swapping does, though. Otherwise, Luke's going to start pulling his hair out. Um, <laughs> so I don't have much left either, honestly. I like the fact that we can't predict, but I have to concur with what the um, what the the other guys have said in terms of. McLaren looks strong. Ferrari need to think about what they're going to be doing um, really moving forward. But it's all to play for and it's really tight at the top. Mercedes Mercedes can't afford any more drop, dropping of the ball, the metaphorical ball anymore. Like they need to be getting those race wins in order to be keeping it tight at the, at the top end of the constructors and the drivers' championship. So they're going to have to really be bringing their A game and we know how strong they are when they are on their A game. So I'm, I'm massively looking forward to the next couple of races, even if by the end of it, we're all going to be absolutely and utterly cream-crackered. Um, but it's good. I'm, I'm actually quite liking this, uh, this setup really. Yeah, it's very exciting and the unpredictable nature of it is the beauty of it at the moment. The season is really delivering and everything we could ask for. That is all we have time for today. Thank you guys for chatting with me again today. We will be back very soon for the Syrian Grand Prix, the first of the two races in Austria. So we will catch you then. But in the meantime, in the few days in between, on Autosport Plus right now, we have a range of fab articles for you to read. Alex Kalinorkas has written about how Ferrari got its recovery plan working. David Marshall-Lopez writes on the winners and losers of IndyCar so far. And there is a great, pre- a great piece on the new age of sponsorship facilitated by F1's relevancy push. New subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Head to autosport.com forward slash plus, click sign in at the top of the page and use the promo code PODCAST to get yourself that 50% off. And we'll be back next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.